KALP, Petaluma, California. I'm Naomi Takeuchi, and I'm the Movie Muse. If you like the movies, we'll have an opportunity to talk. Good morning, Petaluma. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCALP, Petaluma, California. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, the rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. We're here for our bi-weekly program with the opportunity of meeting different people from our community who impact our lives in different ways. Uh, the guest during our second segment today, uh, Joe Cochran, the regional manager of the Petaluma Sonoma County uh, Library, uh, was called away on family loss. And uh, so we're going to do something a little different today with the guests from our first segment and stretch ourselves all the way through the entire hour. And I want to welcome to our studio uh, Stephen Weiss. Uh, Stephen is, uh, uh, well, a friend, but Stephen is also a member of uh, B'nai Yisrael Jewish Center. He a uh, former physician at uh, Kaiser. And for our purposes today as we get there, uh, a student of Musar, and we're going to find out what that word means in a little bit. So welcome to our studio. Thank you, Ted. It's great to have you here. And uh, as I start out every time, uh, let's get a little background on you so that people have a context of, particularly with what we're going to be talking about today, uh, they have a context of how this becomes important to you and what it means for you. Sure. So, go ahead. You're on. Well, um, let's see. Uh, I uh, went to college in Baltimore and graduated with a degree in American poetry and then came out to Berkeley where I got a doctoral degree in uh, mental health, a psychotherapy uh, degree, and uh, then went back to... Uh, medical school to become a physician, and I've sort of realized that my entire career has been listening to people. Um, anyway, uh, at, after medical school, I was working at Kaiser Permanente and was practicing as an internist. I was the medical director of the hospice program at, at Kaiser in Vallejo. Um, but things in my life really turned around. Uh, I like to summarize it by saying that I died three times. I came as close as you can to dying. Uh, the first occasion was in about 2001, and uh, I nearly died of a coronary event. I had a very severe narrowing and made it to the stent, uh, the cath lab, just in time. Uh, and then uh, after that, in 2004, I had a very severe bicycling accident. I fell and had a, a very severe traumatic brain injury and a severe bleeding stroke, and I was paralyzed on my right side uh, for uh, almost uh, two months and as I recovered. Um, and then in the hospital, I had a near-fatal pulmonary embolus. So I, uh, I, uh, I tend to feel that life grabs you by the throat and demands that you pay attention. Uh, after the heart disease, I was feeling uh, pretty lost. I, I had this sort of 
Uh, I said that God has a dark sense of humor. What does he do but give an anxious Jewish guy a disease where he can get him drop dead at any moment? So at that point, I went back uh, and began a meditation program at, uh, in San Francisco led by uh, Rabbi Alan Liu and Norman Fisher. Um, and it was uh, after that, uh, during that program, I had the bicycling accident. And there I was the first night in the intensive care unit, very disoriented and paralyzed. And uh, the next morning, I called Rabbi Alan Liu, and I said, Alan, I'm sitting here paralyzed. I, I feel like I should, I should be learning something from this experience. And he, he laughed out loud, and he said, Stephen, look, uh, get better. Worry later about what it means. Uh, but so then it's been a search uh, for meaning. I've been doing a very uh, uh, meaningful uh, project I call the Spiritual Leaders Project. I'm meeting and interviewing, doing the portraits of spiritual leaders in the Central Valley. I'm a portrait artist now, photography. And Ted, that's where I first met you. I, I sat down with you and we talked and uh, uh, I asked you, uh, was there a, a passage uh, in the spiritual literature that first gave you a sense that your path was as a rabbi and, and you gave the quotation from Pirkei Avot, which was, find yourself a teacher. Um, and I've always you know, ask you to explain what you meant by that. And did you ever figure out what I meant by that? Uh, well, actually, you know, it is interesting that Musar we'll talk about later, but one of the central sort of values of Musar is that uh, we are all each other's teacher. In other words, that uh, part of the process of Musar is learning to listen, but the humility to understand that, that if we listen, uh, everyone can teach us something. So, I, is that what you meant? So, well, what about the the second piece of that of uh, that phrase? Find yourself a teacher. I don't remember. I was so in awe of you. So, you know, I can't, yeah, you know. so that's the important part. Tell so me. It's find yourself a teacher uh -huh. uh, and make for yourself a friend. Oh, that when you have a teacher that the teacher should also become, um, be a good listener, mm -hmm. and that you have a friend in that relationship, and that a good teacher will also be your friend in the process. That was the piece that, right. that inspired me uh, in the rabbinate, because uh, I've always seen the relationships as key to the uh, to my work, right. and I don't even want to call it work. I hate to use that because it sounds like this separate part of my life, but it's not this separate part of my life. It's, it's what I do in my life. Um, you know, that's, I think, a good segue into, you know, I met you, and I very, very uh, decidedly you've become my teacher and a friend. Uh, part of the Musar uh, uh, values is that that we have a responsibility to others, that we turn to others, that we help improve the world. And that's what I've seen you do. And uh, you'll have to remind me uh, about the community event that you had 
with the local imam. Uh, can you remind me about that? Because that's part of what you do to reach out. Right. Well, we tr I tried to work. Uh, in fact, we're having a Thanksgiving, communal Thanksgiving service this coming Tuesday night at United Church of Christ in Petaluma with a whole group of churches. Right. And to me, that's of essence in, in our work in the community. Mm -hmm. So I think it's uh, very important. And I was inspired, actually. I've been teaching this class on Wednesday nights mm -hmm. uh, using a book by Rabbi Sheldon Lewis called The Torah of Reconciliation. And he has a, you know, Abraham is seen as the father of the Jewish people, whatever phrase you would like to identify him with. And uh, he has a line there. He said, uh, Abraham brought to the world the God of all mankind. But the faith of Abraham was only the faith of Israel. So that the God was universal, G-O-D, God was the universal God of all. But how we as the Jewish people interpret, deal with, relate to, uh, that's our thing. That's our thing in the world. And so that was a very profound teaching. It reminded me that, yes, the God that we'll be looking at, at next Tuesday night with everybody, mm -hmm. all of all these churches, is the same God. We all just have our separate paths to get there. So, well, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, one of the aspects of Musar, which is that uh, Musar is, is a practical thing. Musar is doing and uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's sort of showing up is not enough. And perhaps what you're describing with uh, 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 God, Abraham brought God to the, all mankind, but the, the Jews, is that uh, my sense, I've always learned that Judaism is a practical religion. It's, it's uh, guidance on, on how to live your life. Right. And there's that Musar I don't know if you agree with that. Oh, I do agree yeah. with you. I believe that uh, if it's all keeping our heads in the clouds, we won't do very well in this world. It's that mm -hmm. Our job right. is to translate right. the spiritual pieces of our existence into the daily give and take of the world. Right. That's what we're here for. So, uh, so Musar. So let's yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about this Musar deal. It's uh, <laughs> spelled two different ways: uh, M U S A R and M U S S A R. And uh, people can fight about however they want, how long uh, that spelling. Um, one of uh, uh, Alan Marinus is one of the leaders of uh, teaching Musar. He pronounces it Musar. Uh, and but I, in honor of Petaluma and the cows, I like to say Musar. So uh, <laughs> you don't want to give someone a bunch no. of fear, though. You don't want to do that. No. Really, Musar. Right. Yeah. I don't. You know. I don't know never. about that. No. But picking up on what you're doing, uh, I think that people can get stuck trying to deal with the. Uh, the nature of God and and religion and worship in terms of approaching Musar, because I think Musar can be seen as a practice. In other words, it is doing. So, in other words, uh, you know, um, there's the nature of Musar is a path to holiness, that the pure holiness of God. And 
yet I think that Musar can be a path to holiness, and we can define holiness in any number of ways. I mean, can you help with that? Well, so, so first of all, Musar was uh, the modern Musar movement, uh, was goes back into the mid 1800s with uh, Rabbi Israel Salanter, and, and Salanter was, uh, for all intents and purposes, an Orthodox rabbi. But when he began introducing some of these uh, concepts that he thought would be vital to regaining the uh, loyalty of the Jewish people, some of his religious partners thought he was nuts for doing that because they thought they would, that he was taking people away from God mm. and focusing only on the behavioral aspect of, of living in the world. When he was trying to infuse the behavioral aspect of our daily lives with a sense of godliness and purpose that is built into, into Judaism. So he, he did have problems in those days, uh, trying mm-hmm. to get this movement going. But it was a, an ethic. So one of the definitions of the Musar movement, of course, is that it's an ethical movement. Right. It's an attempt to have people take seriously enough our obligations in the world to apply our sensitivities to our ethical behaviors. Uh, one way of expressing that is uh, that Musar is a practice that guides us to live the life we aspire to. Right. Some higher, what you're talking about. Right. And that, yeah. it, with the acknowledgement that we as human beings need that guidance, mm-hmm. that we need that guidance. I mean, you know, when you were doing psychotherapy and, uh, and right. that kind of thing, that's a piece of that. In fact, some people thought, even though the term wasn't around yet, but some moderns think that Solange should have been a psychologist and not necessarily a religious teacher because his work was talking about the behaviors that we have and how we act in the world and using our spiritual tools to affect uh, our behaviors. So uh, he might have been in class with you at the university if uh, he had been living, uh, living today. So, so in here in the 21st century, uh, this Musa movement's kind of been mm-hmm. revived and your studies have been part of that, right? right. Your, right. your studies have been right. part of that revival. Right. But, you know, uh, it's important to understand that Musar is not just thought. Uh, you know, Jack Benny was held up by a guy with a gun, and the guy said, your money or your life. And Jack Benny didn't do anything, and the guy says, your money or your life. And Jack Benny says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. So, in other words, thinking too much can get you nowhere, and uh, the actual doing is important. There's a very famous story about a rabbi, and you'll have to help me, that, you know, there's a, you need to get to a synagogue in time for there to be a minion uh, so that you can hold services. And this famous teacher was on his way, but he became distracted by a woman who was bereft and crying and weeping. And instead of going to on to synagogue, he turned to this woman and uh, consoled her and listened to her. And as a result, he missed uh, being a part of the minion. But the teaching is that that 
that is holiness. I right. Mean, yeah. And that was the story actually about Kol Nidre, about Kol Nidre, Yom Kippur yes. night. Right. And the rabbi on the way to the synagogue and was distracted and couldn't right. come, and etc. And it's a, it's a te- very telling story. So we actually do use the phrase, the practice of Musa. The practice yes. of Musa. It's right. a way of behaving. It's a right. way of uh, acting uh, in a particular way. And you did mention the word holiness. What do you, yeah. think, what do you think holiness means? Well, um, first of all, I, I think that... Uh, there is, um, you can get distracted by uh, bringing God into this too much. For some reason, I think of a piano keyboard. There are white keys and dark keys. And the Musar is these steps towards, uh, towards holiness. And it seems to me that the white keys are our steps and the black keys are these occasional notes in between of holiness. But... Um, I wrote something very briefly, a poem about that. Okay. Um, and what I wrote was, Standing on Sinai, the wind touches my face. In this moment and every moment after, I listen for the voice of holiness in every soul. Mm-hmm. So part of my answer to you is that I'm not sure what holiness is, but that we all possess that at our deepest level. So, rescue me. What do you, how would you say? So, actually, you were using this piano uh, analogy, and I was thinking also of the, um, uh, you can have two pianists playing the same piece, Uh, and one person will get, and playing all the notes correctly, mm -hmm. right? And one person will be lauded for the beauty of the piece, and the other person may not get, oh, you know, so, the essence of the music is not just the notes, it's the pause between the notes. Absolutely. And I right. say that the meaning is in the space between, but, you know, that will uh, take us, in, hopefully, at some point to the concept of soul trade of zirzut, uh-huh. which is enthusiasm or zeal, but it also means uh, commitment to throw yourself in fully. And so the pianist who can play with great beauty, uh, he or she is, is, it's this enthusiasm, this joy, this zirzut, and they are putting their heart into this. Is, do you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But the, so the, the concept actually in Judaism of holiness is, the Hebrew word is kiddushah, mm-hmm. and kiddushah comes from a root which literally means to separate. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like the, uh, you know, I like the Hebrew word better because right. it it touches me in a different way. Because when I think of holiness, I picture uh, uh, in the English language in this culture, I think of angels walking around with uh, uh, halos right. over their head right. and and right. all that kind of thing. When uh, uh, when holiness is the sense of acting, behaving. And maybe even thinking in a way that separates us from lower forms of life, mm-hmm. separates us from those who would want to perpetrate evil and harm people in the world. And to be holy, then, is to live a life that uh, elevates our souls. Uh, in fact, there's a phrase in the Talmud that says, Ma'alin bekodesh ve'en moridin. In life, we should always strive to go up in holiness 
and not to go down in holiness. Well, Michelle Obama said that when they go low, we go high. Right. Now, uh, uh, there was the uh, murder of eight uh, people in a congregation in the South. Uh, and the next day, the members of this congregation, it was a Christian congregation, but they forgave right. the shooter. Right. And I've, ne- I've always had difficulty with it. But, you know, what I was saying here about uh, listen for the voice of holiness in every soul, you know, the teaching is that at our core, everyone, even the most evil, has holiness. But I'm in, I, you've got to help me out. Sometimes, sometimes we're challenged with that. Right. Sometimes we're challenged with that. You know, uh, for, for us as uh, the corporate entity of the Jewish people, if we mention the word Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. you know, do we believe that he has the same soul and had the same soul implanted within mm-hmm. him that all of us do? And uh, the same need for love and all that? Well, probably, but uh, unfortunately uh, for many in the world, obviously, uh, his behaviors and how he carried that out uh, was missing something. Right. So it's a it's a complicated and challenging area era area, and for the church to get, be able to come forward and to say forgive mm. is really a very a noble gesture, but it's also that forgiveness is something they need okay. to be able to be able to move forward in their lives. So, in other words, not. There's something about the anger you're saying that gets you stuck. Right. 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 Um, you know, it. Uh, something you just said. I want to prove that I actually have listened to you uh-huh. and learned. Uh, you did a class on Martin Buber, and one of the things he referred to is the insto- uh, institutionalization of Judaism back in the beginning of the rabbinic period, and what he, uh, what you were teaching, what he said was that the soul of Judaism was lost. And he referred to the Hasidim and the, the joy and uh, passion that they brought to Jewish life and right. practice. And I think that's part of, uh, tell me. It's not part of Musar. Yes. That was right. Right. Of course. Yeah. So Musar uh, is not devoid of spirituality. Uh, it's a, uh, from my perspective at least, it's a combination of the spiritual and the practical mm-hmm. and how to use the spiritual to enhance our practical and how to use the uh, practical uh, to uh, enhance our spiritual. So if we, uh, if we practice uh, within Musar, there are midot, there are certain, okay. there are certain right. characteristics that are asked of us mm-hmm. to develop right. uh, in our behavioral life. And if in doing that, uh, for instance, one of them is gratitude, uh-huh. right? And particularly appropriate at this time of the year, right. which is Thanksgiving. Right. And if we can actually practice gratitude, and even mm-hmm. though it may start out as a, a rote waking up in the morning and saying, thank you, God, for this beautiful day, and it feels like rote, at some point, it's going to hit us. Right. The reality of what that means right. and right. the depth of what that means. And at that point, we have then combined the practice, the act of gratitude right. with our spiritual dimension. You know, uh, 
every I still say this. What the hell does Musar mean? I, I mean, I don't know, but uh-huh. I'm, what you were saying makes me think of the uh, saying that the Torah is not a shovel with which to dig. But it just occurs to me, Musar is the shovel with which to dig. In other words, what you're saying about repeating and repeating, uh, Musar is a practice. Yes, study of wisdom literature, but through uh, meditation and self-awareness and exploration, over time, you begin to be aware of those times during your day or life with, with when you're challenged. Right. And that's, uh, that's where the practice helps us. So, you know, I would be interested, what did it feel like when you were practicing medicine to be using the word practicing? You know, I mean, there are lots of jokes about it. I wish I could go to a doctor who knew what he was doing already and didn't have to practice on me. But it's a completely... So what did that mean for you when you were to practice medicine? Well, I like the term, the art of medicine, and and practice. You know, uh, part of it was to, you know, slowly over time understand that the patients were my teachers as well. You know, eventually, if you just listen to someone, they'll tell you what's wrong. And when I went back to work after my heart event, I something changed, and I felt as if I were sitting on the table with the patient and we were both looking at the problem. And, uh, you know, every time I felt like I was, you know, God or knew too much, something would bring me back to earth. So I think practice is, is uh, um, not that, you know, you have to do it until you're right, but practice means that each, I like to say that, you know, for the person I'm about to see with a cold, as meaningless as it is, for them at that moment, it's the most important important thing in their lives. And so, you know, you have to work at that. It's a practice. Right. And that's, uh, that's exactly what Musar is in mm. the same way, yeah. that uh, life is an art, right? Mm. Living life is a, is a form of art. Uh, and finding the tools to be able to take us into that world is, uh, is an amazing, uh, amazing possibility for us. So we're, we're actually going, believe it or not, our first segment is coming to an end. Right. We're going to take a couple of minutes break. Okay. And when we come back, we'll be trying to start looking at some of the Musar concepts and right. see how sure. we can talk about it. All right. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Okay. You're listening to KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM.
Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted this Thursday morning. We're on KPCALP, Petaluma, California. And in our studio is uh, Stephen Weiss, a member of B'nai Israel Jewish Center, a student of Musar, and getting to be a teacher of Musar. And uh, it's great to have you back for the second segment. We're going to continue our discussion here. So I guess the first thing I could say I could request of you is to uh, take me out to the ball game. Okay. Uh, you you wrote right. this little thing about right. trying to explain what Musar means. Yes. Uh, that, that's comparing it in some ways with baseball. So, and since I know you were outstanding right. in your field, <laughs> that uh, you have yeah. to be able to. Well, change. and the I will tell you that this got some people very upset, so okay. we'll start with that. Wait, so. uh, maybe you'll tell us afterwards what they right. were upset about. Okay, okay. go ahead. But, so, um, I sat down with the author of a very famous uh, uh, tractate in Musar, Orchat Tzadikim, and so it's a conversation of me with the author, with the teacher, so I'll begin, I'll play both parts. Okay. Uh, teacher, you are not your own creation. God created you from clay, breathed life into you. Stephen, may I use baseball to help me understand your teaching in more familiar terms? I, this is too much for me. The teacher says yes. Okay. Stephen, the batter steps to the plate. He is not his own creation. God created his muscles, brain, organs, skeleton. Teacher, Musar teaches that all are imbued with holiness. We all have unique measures of potential. Your best self is not my best self. Stephen, our player has reflexes, vision, strength, and speed, all given to him by God. These potentials are not his creation, but they are his to perfect. Teacher, teach yourself, but you cannot do this on your own. Find many teachers. First, there is Torah and Talmud, then the wisdom tradition of the great sages and scholars. But before you begin your soul work, you must find the passion to become your best self. This passion resides in your heart. Find it. Listen to it. It will guide your Musar practice. 
Tebow. The baseball player has coaches, statistics, and videos, but a great baseball player has to be hungry. He has to want it. He has to look within to find his heart passion. Teacher, you will struggle to understand. You will study many sources and still not understand. Get out of your head. Musar is not an idea. It is doing. Find the midot you struggle with by your journaling. Apply the midot in your daily life. At some point, without realizing it, you will be living Musar. Stephen, our batter swings and misses. His coach tells him, get out of your head. Baseball is simple. See the ball, hit the ball. He goes back to training camp, the batter, and hits a thousand balls until, without having to think, he sees the ball and hits the ball. Back in the majors, he steps to the plate, sees, uh, he steps to the plate, sees the ball, and hits the ball. He tells a reporter, God gave me the potential. I just practice. Rebbe, thank you for teaching me. And the teacher responds, uh, You taught yourself. Musar is a good teacher. It has taught me to learn with you, not for you. So, yeah. It's, um, I, I was thinking of that, that there are things that we learn in life that uh, by repetition, by contemplation, by mm-hmm. thinking about it, um, it becomes so integral to who we are that we now do it automatically. Right. And responding to the world in an ethical way uh, shouldn't have to always be a struggle, right? Right. It should be, the practice should lead us to the point of having it totally integrated to our being right. and the holiness of our being. And that's the whole point of Musar practice. It's like that baseball player who, after a while, doesn't have to think. It, he sees the ball and hits the ball. It, Musar practice is exactly what you say, that initially we struggle with certain midot, certain challenges. Uh, but then with practice and study and practice, they become, as you described, part of oneself. Right? Yes. I mean, it's, in some ways, it's like a child teaching a child. You know, parents, teachers teach children certain things, and then suddenly, at some point in the light in their lives, what they do becomes theirs. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is what they've often been taught. Right. And sometimes that's not good, and children are not taught good things. But in general, children are taught good things, and that becomes mm-hmm. integral to who they are. Right. So it's the same process, and we're all children at some point, even right. as adults, and we have the ability to constantly learn and move on to change. Well, I mean, taking your analogy just a step or two uh, further, you know, at the very beginning of child, uh, the world is them, themselves, the, the relationship with mother, but slowly over time, they learn that I'm this and they are that, that, that there is the other. Okay, so... We're going to spend a couple of minutes looking at one particular piece in uh, in the Bible, in the Torah, mm-hmm. and uh, that has been very controversial over time. And uh, it's uh, God's call to Abraham in chapter 22 of Genesis mm-hmm. to um, to take his son and sacrifice him to God. And this is God's test of Abraham's faith in him. 
and it's always been very controversial. So for those who are anti-religion, it would be, how could any good God call upon somebody to sacrifice his own son? Mm -hmm. uh, for the extreme religions, look how what a man of faith Abraham was to respond to God in such a way that he was even willing to do that. And so you have this dichotomy that's set up. So I know you've done different things, and um, uh, you also wrote a little a little writing on that. And we'll let's start with that, and then we'll okay. take the discussion. Okay. Um, maybe I'll go uh, halfway through or start at the beginning of it, do you think? Uh, start at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So I did this uh, visualization, but I'll, I'll just read through it slowly. Um, and those of you listening, if you would just relax and uh, let your eyes close, settle into the chair. Uh, push a rock down a mountain demands little of us. Push a rock up a mountain demands zirzut. Uh, in this holy moment, in this holy place, we are standing at the top of a mountain, a circle of clouds around us, a cold wind, Feel the clouds trace the contours of your face. The earliest morning light glows violet. Holiness hangs heavily in the air. But this is not our story. In the distance below, Abraham with his knife and stone, Isaac with his burden of wood, they are climbing. If not now, when? There will be no sacrifice on the mountain. Abraham will raise his arm. The angel of God is waiting. But this is not where his story begins. Earlier in the desert below, Abraham is asleep in his tent. He awakens. In this moment, knowing he will raise his arm, he stands. Standing is his covenant. This is his now. This is his story. The rooster crows. We wake into this soul moment into this holy place, the world as it is demands our holiness. Stand, step, begin, zirzut. Standing is our covenant. This is our story. This is our now. And um, I know you presented that in our initial discussions mm -hmm. as uh, somewhat controversial because right. uh, uh, you're affirming that the covenant or the faith of Abraham mm -hmm. didn't wait for him to hold the knife over his son to show that he was willing to sacrifice him, but rather the moment that he awoke that morning to follow right. God's command. Right. That that was the beginning, that was the, es the essence of faith. Well, God, uh, this is the third day when he uh -huh. wakens. So God came to him three days earlier, and said, you know, go to Moriah and... Moriah. Moriah and he told uh, Abraham that you will be sacrificing your son. So, for me, you can get very distracted by all of the drama up at the top of the mountain, part of why this passage, I think, has engaged people for so long. But that, to me, the true covenant, that true moment, is when Abraham wakens, turns and puts his feet on the ground and stands up. To me, that standing up, that that is the covenant at that moment. The moment he 
embarked on that journey right. to, uh, to made the commitment, made, made the commitment. commitment to God, right? Made yeah. the commitment there. Yeah. So I mean, the text. Uh, I'm looking. Uh, this text reads: uh, Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test. He said to him, Abraham, and he answered him, Here I am. And God said, Take your son, your favorite one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights, which I will point out to you. So early the next morning, Abraham saddled his ass. So that early the next morning, by Ashkem Abraham Baboker, that he got up early the next morning to embark on the journey. So once he agreed to go on that journey is the fulfilling of God's test. Mm -hmm. So do you think he really did sacrifice, or did he not sacrifice? Well, uh, you mean on the mountain? Yeah. Well, personally, I think, you know, to be a little outrageous, I, I, I think everyone knew that there would be no sacrifice. I think everyone but Isaac knew. And so, uh, but I think that the, the, you've skipped over something very important. Okay. Uh, God calls out Abraham's name, and Abraham replies, Here I am. And the Hebrew word is, Hineni. And that's a very. Uh, can you explain that? I mean, well, Hineni is uh, certainly when a teacher calls attendance and someone says Hineni, it's I'm here, right? Right. Here, but in the context, uh, in this context, it means uh, I'm present. I'm mm-hmm. totally there. Right. Right. I'm and listening. I'm attending to this. Exactly. And. Uh, uh, silence is actually listening. Uh, and then earlier in the Garden of Eden, uh, God calls out, Adam is trying to hide, and uh, Adam says, Hineni, here I am. So it's a, it's part of revealing, it's part of being present, and it's part of uh, listening. You know, is that fair? And, and it's not hiding. It's oh. being, there's a certain transparency of presence that's being uh, implied by saying he made me. So is that the covenant at that moment? Is that the covenant at that moment? At that moment, you know, God calls out and Abraham says, here I am. Yes, so one could postulate that that is the beginning of it. The moment that Abraham responds to God. Mm-hmm. The moment that Abraham responds to God. And uh, there are a couple of Hineni's in the, in the text here. Right. right? And uh, the rabbis understood that, that Abraham was totally attending to God's mm-hmm. uh, conversation with him. And uh, I gave a, a sermon once on, the, on that piece that it's all Abraham's conscience. Hmm. It's all Abraham's conscience of the different stages of feeling the need, this, this test happening in his life and how he's internally struggling. You know, um, if we don't want to take the Torah and the biblical tradition as history or fact or any of that, which is, you know, that, that's fine, but we want to take it as teaching other truths, mm-hmm. the truth is that here's a story of a man who is now struggling because mm-hmm. God, the, theoretically at least, is asking him to sacrifice his son. Right. And... Uh, that sacrifice would cut off the entire world for Abraham. It would end everything. There was one scholar at my uh, seminary 
who wrote a book saying that God did sacrifice. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that Abraham did sacrifice Isaac. Right. Of course, uh, then there would be no Jacob uh, in the world, and well, the whole story would have stopped. Well, I mean, to answer your question a second time after what you said, yes, uh, Abraham did sacrifice Isaac in that moment that he stood up. Right. I mean, I think that is the sacrifice. Right. But, you know, going back to the beginning of that passage, uh, there's the word test. Uh-huh. Can you elaborate well, on that? It, yeah, the word is nisab, which is uh, to put him to test, which is to see mm-hmm. uh, testing his faith. Uh, rabbinic literature referred to, uh, referred to Abraham as a man of faith, mm-hmm. as a man of faith. And uh, in this text, obviously, his response to God's call was a faithful call. But then the real painful question is, how can God test someone that right. way? Right. How can God? But the other side of that same coin is, aren't we as human beings tested frequently in life? Yes. Aren't we, you know, we're tested in that armies are mustered and we send children out mm-hmm. to battle. Mm-hmm. We're tested in life when illnesses happen to us and happen to our loved ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're tested in life when there's randomness in the world and somebody gets hit by a car or mm-hmm. shot by a shooter randomly. So life is always a test. Mm-hmm. So maybe the text is trying to teach us that life is a test and we always have to stand up to it. Hmm. We always have to stand right. up. We can't hide in our tent. Right. and not go out to that world. Well, there's a Musar saying that, it, that showing up is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think about what I was talking about earlier with struggling to try to understand how uh, the congregation could forgive. I mean, these it's what you're just talking about. Life has this imbalance, these unfairnesses or these challenges, right? Is that right? But take yeah. it back to that holy higher elevation. Right, and the higher elevation is, in essence, to follow your, your uh, reflection there, mm-hmm. is standing up in spite mm-hmm. of those things. Right. I mean, don't we then, you know, I mean, in many ways, you're still here. Uh-huh. And you had three major life-threatening right. challenges. Right. And the resilience of the human spirit and the ability of the human spirit to recover, whether mm-hmm. one connects that right. renewal to God in one's faith system, to our inner strength and our inner power, to the power of love from the people around us, or our own love of life mm-hmm. that, that puts us out there to meet this world. Well, one of the things that got me back from all these injuries is I thought to myself that if I'm afraid of it, that's what I have to do. That's what I have to run at. Mm -hmm. And I I think that uh, the story of Abraham, you know, it's it's a rather esoteric thing to say that the covenant is when he's standing up. But it's like the child who says, I don't know what that means. The story on the mountain is a teaching story in a way, right? I mean, it is a teaching story. It is a teaching story. I mean, there's rabbinic midrashim that say 
that really complicate the story, or everything complicates the story, but it says that Isaac is 40 years old. Isaac is not <laughs> a child here. <laughs> Isaac is an adult. Right. So what about Isaac's faith? Right. And Isaac's trust uh, in his father. Well, is son. that the test again? I mean, Abraham earlier, that was his test by going to the Mar- Mar- Mariah. But then maybe Isaac has a test too, so which is to to lie down on the pyre. I mean, right. I wouldn't do that. Right. Because on the journey, Isaac says, well, where's the, uh, we're not bringing the sacrifice. Where's the wood and the sacrifice and all that? And Abraham says, well, God's going to provide it for us. Hmm. I mean, in these days, we're sort of tested by this notion that, that it's so easy that there are good people and bad people, that there's, you know, the false media and the real. And, and that, that's part of what this is teaching, isn't it? That there's something very simple, but it's much more complex. Every, yeah. yeah, everything has its different levels of, right. of complexity. So is, is this story connected to Zerizut? To this sense yeah. of the, the, the translation of Zerizut is, one of the translations is enthusiasm. And it's, the, the English word is a little hard there because uh, enthusiasm is, uh, yeah. oh, I'm so enthusiastic right. to go out to the ball game today and uh, to see the game and, and all that. So the, the Hebrew word Zerizut actually is often translated as zealous. Mm. As zealous, I'm zealous about it which has a, a, a more of a, a spiritual, um, soul-induced uh, uh, notion to it. And I'm looking at uh, this text here from Alan Moranis and his uh, uh-huh. book. What's the book called? Everyday, Everyday Holiness. Holiness. Everyday yeah. Holiness. There are two different aspects of the trait of enthusiasm. The first is to be quick to take action. The first is to take, uh, be quick to take action. Our role model here is Abraham, who the Torah tells us rose early in the morning. He did that three times, once to stand before God's place, another time to expel Hagar and her son Ishmael from his household, and finally to fulfill the difficult commandment he had received to take his son Isaac to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. His sense of service was so complete that he did not hesitate. So, by the way, mm-hmm. that's why that, that sentence defines zealousness and mm-hmm. not the word, the English word enthusiasm. Alacrity. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, when windows of opportunity open in your life, these may also be invitations from God. Are you quick to recognize and act on the ones that are for the good? The second aspect involves finding and expressing the energy needed to complete a task. Uh, as important as it is to be quick off the mark, it is equally important to sustain energy throughout the whole enterprise. It is so common for people to begin something with a tank full of enthusiasm, only to grind to a halt when they hit a delay or when some unforeseen obstruction arises. They get bored or something else gets in the way. It takes zealousness, since I won't use the word enthusiasm, which he has here, not to bog down, wander off, or pull up mid-course, but to press on to finish the good deed with vigor. Isn't that so true? So, mm-hmm. many, so many people, I'm sure when you were doing psychotherapy, so many people right. came in, 
you know, I started this project and I didn't finish right. it. I dropped out of school because I got bored and I went on to do X, Y, and Z, but then I got bored with that and I haven't found my way in life. Well, I mean, that is the essence of the Tungsar practice, that I know uh, where holiness is, but then I, I just want to stay in bed. So the point is, is that, hey, you know, I know what's holy, but it's my choice. I have to make that decision to get out of bed. And I'd like to bring the concept of kavanah in here. Okay. To do with intent. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you weave that in? Can we weave the notion? Sure. Into, well, so kavanah literally means direction. Mm-hmm. It literally means direction. Likavein libo l'mahut shaddai, to incline one's heart to the kingship of, of God. So, so in one sense, it's a form of... Uh, devotion, attentiveness. So when you say prayers, quote, with kavanah, mm. it's not quite but it's imbuing those words with meaning from in your heart. Mm-hmm. It's speaking from the heart. That's with kavanah. And so when our deeds in life are filled with that proper intent, mm. and that intent can be built with the study of Musa. Hmm. When you look, when you read about this midah of zuizut, mm-hmm. of zealousness, and if, if that can be imbued within us to give us that sense of intent in life, that's, that's a good piece of kavanah. Right. I mean, and we, you know what I wrote and what is that we wake into this soul moment, into this holy place, uh, the world as it is demands our holiness. Stand, standing is our covenant. This is our now. This, in other words, that, that we get up every morning and we have a choice. There's that direction, right? Right, right. That direction. And, and actually living with covenant is living with that sense of, uh, of direction in our life. And the other piece is you, when you mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier the concept of... Um, uh, of choice. Mm-hmm. So in in Judaism, in Judaism, there's uh, a very basic principle called the Hirach mm-hmm. which is uh, free will. Mm-hmm. That all of us, uh, in every moment of choice, we always have choice, mm-hmm. even though it may feel like we don't have choice. Uh, even though it may feel like we don't have choice, like we have to do it this way. That in and of itself is a choice. I used to have people who would decry, I remember during the early stages of the women's lib movement, some of the women in my congregation would look down upon the Orthodox women who chose to mm-hmm. live what they right. conceived to be subservient to their husbands. Well, they're failing to see the holiness in everyone, but then there's the passage I have set before you both life and death. Right. Can you take that? And uh, good and evil, right. choose life. Right, I mean, so there are, there is a choice. There's uh-huh. always a choice, right? There is a choice. There uh-huh. is a choice. So we're actually going to be winding down our discussion in a moment. Are there anything, any final words that you want to say about what Musar has meant for you? Well, um, I think Musar is meaning mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And so when I get up and I don't feel like I can do uh, it, but I say to myself, you know, where is my holiness? 
and it and it brings me back to the notion that what I do has meaning. Uh, if I choose to, if you choose to, right. Well, I'm glad that you chose to come be with us today and spend right. this whole hour right. uh, in discussion. This is a, something different for this show. Right. And I want to thank our listeners for attending to our conversation today. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. We'll be returning in two weeks for our next show.